Hi, bonjour. I'm Gina Suru, and you're listening to the Paris International Film Festival podcast. In each episode, I dive into film distribution or filmmaker strategy or a challenge who's used a disruptive way to get meaningful films out there in these transition times. Whether you're a filmmaker excited to embrace on your normal or simply interested in hearing some filmmaking and distribution tips, this is for you. Today, I've been speaking with the brilliant Tracy Adley, the founder-director of the Valley Film Festival. A few weeks ago, the Valley Film Festival was celebrating its 20th anniversary, adapting remarkably to the pandemic with drive-in screenings. But it doesn't matter what time of year, it always rains one day during the festival. Um, it's like, I just expect it. And this year, <laughs> This year was our first outdoor festival. Um, and of course the very first night it rained, the very first day it was pouring rain here in Los Angeles, which it never does. Um, and I was on the phone with the venue because they're like, well, if it continues the rain, we can't screen. And um, so we were we, on our opening night, we were planning a backup plan for our opening weekend. Uh, which was crazy and then so yes yeah, so this year we had to deal with the elements um the first weekend it was rain and then heavy winds which we typically get here too in los angeles um that was the second weekend and then the final weekend because we ran three weekends um we had a curfew in los angeles <laughs> so we were it was just crazy because the curfew started at 10 in our final program was supposed to end at 10.30. And uh, fortunately, our drive-in shared a parking lot with the Los Angeles Police Department, and we got permission to go over our, to go over curfew. <laughs> Honestly, yeah. this sounds like the Valley Film Festival, I think just made history with its 20th edition. And that's a brilliant intro to all we're gonna discuss because it sounds like Honestly, from here in Paris, it's seriously huge in all the ways you can imagine. <laughs> I think this is Aww. just, it, it's really impressive because I feel like really festivals are, are those who bridge the gap between the filmmakers and the distribution world. And really like, this is what you've been working so hard on for 20 years. But like here, it's even getting to another level where basically first you, we're gonna talk about it more, but you had to move everything into drive-in so that it could be safe and also it's okay. so romantic and it's so nice in LA, LA is great with driving so I think that's that's really a huge achievement and I guess was it during the festival that you heard about the curfew happening like it must have been really like a last minute notice right? It was because um, well we ran for three weeks, three weekends and uh, I think it was the Thursday, the Wednesday or Thursday before our final weekend that our mayor put a curfew on, on Los Angeles starting on um, starting the day that the festival ended. And so I had to call the theater to see if we needed to reschedule our timeline um, because it was very easy to do. You know, we we started a little late in the um, evening. So 
obviously you can't have a drive-in if it's still light outside. And so when I programmed, we were still on daylight savings time or whatever, regular time. Um, and then we went into the time change where it was getting darker earlier. So I actually could have uh, scheduled it to start an hour earlier um, to coincide with the sunset. And so I had called the theater to see if we needed to up our timeline by a half hour or an hour to accommodate them to meet um, the curfew so that we weren't breaking any, any laws. And they reached out to the police department um, since it was right next door to see if we could get a permit to just go an extra 30 minutes and we did it. <laughs> this is seriously outstanding. But yeah, it was really nervous. Um, and we did get a lot of people who didn't come sadly to closing night because by the time, um, by the time our program would have ended, it would have taken like an hour for them to get home. And then it would be an hour, an hour and a half past curfew. So um, I, I do feel, even though we had a great turnout, it could have been a little better. Um, and I think that the curfew just prevented people from, from coming, but I think we had a good time still. Wow, this is amazing. And just for every, all the internationals, everyone who's listening or watching this today, please know, so of course, um, the Valley Film Festival that was funded by Tracy 20 years ago was having its 20th anniversary this year. So literally, if you're watching this now about two or three weeks ago, so really not long ago. And so during okay. the festival itself at the very beginning, they... Well, obviously during the year, you had to realize you had to do go either online, which you didn't want, but go into drive-ins. And then during the festival, you know, there is this curfew in California that happens on the very last day of your festival running. So really so many challenges. And Tracy, you've been doing so much champion filmmakers all those years. And again, this year for the 20th anniversary, it's like the symbol of, of all you've been doing for 20 years, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm really excited. Obviously, it is um, not the festival that we had envisioned um, last year, but it was still, I was just really happy that we were able to do a physical event. Because um, it, it meant it meant a lot to filmmakers. We received so many emails and so many text messages and stuff from, from filmmakers letting us know that, that we were their only physical screening this year. Um, so it, it meant a lot to see, to see how much it meant to other people. Cause sometimes you forget it. Like when we're knee deep in production, we're not thinking, I mean, obviously we're thinking about the filmmakers, but we're not thinking about, um, the emotions that they're going through during this. We're just worried about, can we get a permit? Can we get insurance? Can we finish <laughs> this? And so that was the that was the majority of our year was a trying to find a venue, making sure our insurance company would cover us for the venue, um, and then making sure that the that we were complying with city and state COVID guidelines. I so appreciate you saying that because I think you're absolutely right. Like it's the premieres of the film for the filmmakers. It's such an important moment. And of course, we know that mm -hmm. it's a lot about what the festival does, but it's a lot also about the involvement of the filmmakers, right? They they put a lot of themselves in the film, 
And again, for the premieres, usually they're so committed. They, they're there, they really participate also on social media. Like mm -hmm. they're really part of this experience, right? And I guess it's, this is the experience you also provide. And this is honestly the most brilliant intro. I feel what you've been doing um, this year for the 20 years, you've been pushing films and filmmakers. And I can't wait to hear more because you're really championing uh, the filmmakers. And I know you know Rebecca, um, who also interviewed you and Rebecca is the film festival doctor and she speaks so highly of yeah. you. And I know there is also one of uh, the films she represents Marcus. I saw the pictures from your drive-ins because it was selected at the Valley Film Festival this year and it looks so incredible. Also, I think it did win some award, right? <laughs> it did. It won our juried uh, 10 Degrees Hotter Award. And our award is called 10 Degrees Hotter because it is 10 degrees hotter in the Valley than anywhere else in Los Angeles. That's so, awesome. I love it. This is kind of what I guess. And I think yeah. it's a brilliant name. It looks so cool. You know, it's like, it looks also like, I, I can't wait to hear about the history of the Valley Film Festival because can you tell us how did it happen 20 years ago? What was the atmosphere in Hollywood, in, in LA, in the Valley, the industry, and why you started this festival at the beginning? Sure. Well, I'm from the Valley. I was born and raised in um, Los Angeles, San Fernando Valley, which for those who are not familiar with um, the LA map um it is pretty much most of la <laughs> it is um ventura boulevard is 22 miles long and um if los if uh the san fernando valley were to break apart from the city of los angeles it would be the sixth largest city in the united states so that's how big a landscape it is um it is also where almost all the studios are uh it is where Disney is, Warner Brothers, Universal, CBS. I think the only ones that are not in the Valley are Paramount, um, Sony, uh, whatever's on, uh, you know, in Culver City and, um, and in the Hollywood proper area. So I uh, went to college at uh, New York University and I was living in New York. Um, I spent a good 10 years there. And I was planning to come back to Los Angeles um, because my father was ill at the time. And I was just trying to find a film festival that I could get involved with. I did not start out to start my own. <laughs> it was, I just wanted to find one in the Valley that I could uh, be a part of. I came from volunteering um, at different festivals in New York. And it was just a really great experience and it was a really great use of my skill set. So um, like I said, I went to NYU, I went to film school, but I'm not a on-set production person. I, I really liked the producing aspect. I liked the event production aspect, um, but I didn't like being on set for 16, 18 hours. I just, I had a social life and on set production. <laughs> Good for you. Filmmakers don't. As filmmakers, we really don't so much. <laughs> yeah. So it was just something I learned early on. And I was just trying to figure out where I fit in the industry landscape um, that where I still felt like I was using my degree. 
and um, I was working at or interning actually at the French Film Office in New York at UniFrance, wow. and one of my colleagues there was involved in a organization called Gen Art, which was huge for a long period of time. They're, they're no longer together. Um, and they were starting a film festival at the time in New York. And so I just kind of, you know, uh, met up with them and volunteered with them for many, many years. So when I came to LA, like I said, I was just looking uh, for a film festival to be a part of. And at the time, this was 20 years ago, there weren't too many festivals in Los Angeles. Um, there were, oops, hold on one second. Sorry, I think yes, my- I just clicked so you can come back. Honestly, all you're saying is so inspiring. There you go. This is, this is really, really impressive. So at the okay. beginning, you were in New York City and you were working at the French office, right? Because I saw your post about Godard. Thank you so much for mentioning his birthday. Oh, <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, French New Wave Cinema, I think, is probably uh, a, a lot that inspired me in my in my university days. Um, oh, so yeah, I love Godard. I love Romer. I really like Romer <laughs> um, yeah. and uh, Claude Chabrol. I really like all of those filmmakers a lot. And then Billy Wilder is my favorite American um, filmmaker, but I'm so sorry. I thought my, my I see my pictures back up, so we're good. Um, yes, it's so at the time that, <laughs> So when I was, uh, like I said, when I moved back to LA, I was just looking for a film festival to get involved in. And 20 years ago, there weren't too many. There was the Los Angeles Film Festival. Uh, actually, I don't yes. even think the LA Film Festival had started that because they would have been celebrating, I think, their 20th year, 21st year right now. I believe they um, stopped, didn't they? I think they stopped, right? Yes. Yeah. They stopped a few years ago, but I it was a film independence uh, film festival and then dances with films and then a handful of others, but none served the valley and um you know when i was a kid growing up in the valley there were movie theaters everywhere and you know at that time there weren't a lot of theaters we had lost our mom and pop um art houses um one screen mm -hmm. art houses to multiplexes and they were spread out so we had one at universal and then I think the next one was probably 10 miles away in Van Nuys. And then the next one was probably another 10 miles away in the West Valley. So That's we didn't crazy. have too many venues um, in the Valley at that time. Yes. <laughs> um, Lemley did have a presence. They were still, they, they still had their Encino location, uh, which is where I grew up watching a lot of, a lot of art house films um as well and so i was looking for a festival to just get involved in couldn't find one it was also at the time when when the valley was trying to separate from los angeles so all of these facts and figures about the tax revenue that los angeles would lose if the valley left um pardon me stemming mostly from the adult film industry uh which is very big here <laughs> and, and I just, like I said, I just wanted to be part of something and I couldn't find one. So 
So I was like, how hard can it be? I'll just start one. Um, um, and yes. I, <laughs> Let's some go for it. <laughs> well, why not? It's too hard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in my head, I thought, well, it has to be a nonprofit arts organization. I don't know why I thought that. Um, so I was like, all right, so the first step is to file the paperwork and set up this nonprofit. Uh, in California, we have a wonderful organization called California Lawyers for the Arts, and they help um, arts organizations uh, get all their paperwork set up. And they were helping me. And the lawyer who was assigned to me said, this could take two years <laughs> to uh, get your 501c3 status. So in the meantime, while I'm doing this for you, why don't you um, piggyback off of a fiscal nonprofit um, such as, and he gave me like two or three recommendations and one was Community Partners. So Community Partners is a nonprofit arts organization and they um, have projects underneath them. So I'm one of maybe a hundred projects and they do all the nonprofit administrative uh, paperwork and uh, making sure that we stick to the nonprofit code of ethics um, and that we're fight that we're like working um, that we're doing everything correctly that we're not like I don't know funneling money wrong or something I have no idea <laughs> um, so I applied for I applied to become a project of of community partners. This was 20 years ago. And I remember when they accepted me, they said, well, most projects stay here for eight years. And then they feel like they have the uh, backbone to just, you know, go out and do their own thing. I've been with them for 20 years because it's just so easy. We only do, you know, we only do one big event per year. And it just didn't seem when, when we were thinking of uh, going for profit um, and leaving, leaving community partners, I was like, it's just not worth it because they do everything. They take care of our taxes. We get insurance through them. Um, we obviously, they take a percentage of, you know, our fundraising, but it's so worth it because then I don't have to do the paperwork and yeah. I don't have to make sure that I'm following um, the ever-changing nonprofit guidelines. They just tell me what's changed and tell me how to, how to move forward. That's really so good. I really, That's very professional. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So I really did. Um, that's why we're still with them because they just, they take care of us. And it, you know, we do, even though we produce events year round, um, they're small compared to the festival. And so just to have the support and know that I have a, um, a legal team behind me, I have a, yes. you know, insurance team behind me, I have a payroll team behind me. Um, it's just, it's so easy. So it allows me to manage the, the organization um, when my small team is off doing other things. So I don't have to rely on everyone 24 seven. That's wonderful. And yes, I love I love hearing the stories behind 
the festival because you know how we love hearing the stories behind the film or the filmmaking. Yeah. That feel, obviously. And the festivals are also part of creating and telling these stories. And I feel the stories behind the festivals are amazing. Like, especially yours, it's 20 years old. It's a brilliant anniversary. And, and you're right, there is so much that goes in the festival. There's so much work. And I think your, your filmmakers must really appreciate that there's such a solid structure because it's a lot of work. You're creating a lot of films. Obviously, you have events. Sometimes, who knows, maybe a global pandemic can happen, you know? It's better to have... <laughs> you never know what can happen. <laughs> It's important to have oh my goodness. So, right? And also, like, yeah. I'm going to discuss all the aspects because um, obviously you have a lot of international filmmakers, I guess also a lot from LA and the US, but really it's it's a global experience, right? Can you can you tell us how it evolved throughout the years? Did at the beginning did you have more like American filmmakers and did it grow? How how did that come together? Sure. So our first year, our first few years, I would say, I would say up until year five, um, you know, you have to remember this was before we had online submissions. This yes. was, <laughs> this yes. was a lot of, um, you know, not everyone had internet too 20 years ago. And so I just remember the very first years, I had like this notebook full of website addresses. And we used to just go and just plaster our call for entries everywhere. And we were still accepting like physical submissions. Um, so the first year, I have to say, it's, it's weird how submissions, where they come in from and, and what they're about, uh, because it, it does tell a story about our um, existence here. Uh, so our first year, I think most of our submissions came from Texas. I have no idea why. That's hilarious. Um, but Texas has great yeah. cinema, right? Great no, they do. <laughs> they, they absolutely do. Um, but most of our submissions came from Texas that first mm. year. And, um, and then I think it took a couple of years before we started to get submissions from Los Angeles. And then it took a little more time to get specific submissions from the Valley, like um, a majority of submissions from the Valley. Um, and we were having a hard time. So we were having a hard time um, because we were still so small. We were having a hard time attracting like these really big LA premieres uh, because there were, obviously other festivals that had been around a little longer than us that um, required premieres and would prevent filmmakers from screening with us. Uh, we're a little more relaxed about it. Yes, we do like premieres, but if it's a good film, it's a good film. Um, so we're just gonna go with that. And so I started to think about, well, we can't get really good films from LA. Let's just try and get them from the rest of the world. And I made a really big effort to start attracting um, international films because French thrillers are my favorite. Um, <laughs> Italian films are also one of my favorites, um, Italian classics. So I, it was, I think it was around 2008 was the first time I went to the Cannes Festival. And I just really loved it. And so 
um, I just kept going back like every other year. That was my thing. (laughs) And because of that, I think we started to build this international presence. And, um, and then obviously with the advent of, you know, film freeway and other online portals, it just makes it so much easier for filmmakers to find us. I so appreciate you saying that because I feel you see it with a lot of humility because you you still talk about your difficulties, but it's been your 20th anniversary. And as you say, even not getting back so far away, but I remember when I was working at Gomo seven years ago, so mm-hmm. I was sending the Gomo films to festivals and you know, there was something that was starting called Without a Box, but mm-hmm. we still, I, still, I still had to send the films to all the festivals one by one. And also for the festival edition, we would receive all the films with DVDs. So then you have to send yep. back. And actually it was also a lot more cost for the filmmakers because instead of sending it on film freeway, they had to send it. And you've been through so much. And I think it's important to remember that also because now we are having a lot of changing this year. And it's mm-hmm. interesting uh, about the premieres because a lot say it's hard to know if it's true, but because of the pandemic, I would say maybe festivals won't be so precious anymore about the premieres because of the industry changing. It's really interesting. So I'm, I'm really curious to hear your take about that because just to clarify now, how much does the premiere, like either some filmmakers listening uh, or watching, how much does the premiere of a film in LA matter to submit to the Valley Film Festival? Is it important or not so much? I mean, ideally we'd like it for a variety of reasons. It's not so it's not so much that we want the premiere status, it's that filmmakers, um, if they've screened multiple times in LA, it gets harder for us to pitch their film to our distribution network if yes. other people have already done it. Uh, it gets harder for our media to write about it because it's already screened multiple times and someone else might have written about it. So um, there's that. And then if they are local filmmakers, you know, by your fifth or sixth screening, your friends and family don't want to come out anymore. Um, <laughs> so it's, yes, so it's a little difficult. And with porn, so, I mean, I say that ideally we want it. Um, and we do look at it, but if the film is great and if it comes down to a really good film that's screened a few times or a so-so good film that hasn't screened, we're probably going to go with the film that connects with us more. Yes, yes, but that makes a lot of sense. And there are so many different films, right? Every film is different, so depending mm-hmm. on the message of the distribution circuit. Some films you'd expect if it's already premiered, probably it will be distributed by them. Some not, and also depending on the year, some years are more unusual than the others. So that's, it's really interesting to hear your take on that. And coming back to Cannes, mm-hmm. and I've heard that mm-hmm. your, your festival has a mini market, right? You've been working ca- quite hard in Cannes to meet the distributors so they can attend the festival. And mm-hmm. it's really precious for the filmmakers, isn't it? It is, well, so um, it just kind of happened organically. So we, our festival typically runs the week before or the week of AFM. And we didn't do it on purpose. It's just, that's the week we fell. And um, so, and then 
we already had distributors here or distributors willing to talk to us. Uh, and also because we're in LA, we have acts, you know, distributors are here year round. So it's yes. really easy to reach out to them. Um, it's hard to get them to attend a screening, but they will, it's easier for us to approach a distributor with a slate of films than it is for a filmmaker to approach um, a distributor with their film. And we've, they appreciate it because we've already done the vetting. We've already gone through our submissions and we've already pulled out what we think is um, the best that has come in this year. And so they trust us a little more because we've already done the vetting um, for it. And it just, I have to say the, uh, the distribution idea was Georgia Menendez's idea. Uh, she came from a distributor background, a distribution background. And um, she was working on the festival. She's another NYU Violet. Oh, I love it, yeah, webbing your flags. <laughs> yeah. And so she, she, she was coming from the distribution world and said, hey, I think we should approach these distributors with our feature films. And so since this was probably, I want to say in 2012 is when we started doing it a little, uh, when we started like dedicating time to it. Because that was also the time that we um, moved over to the Lemley NoHo 7. Their venue had just been built um, and it had a wonderful um, screening uh, projector, you know, it was, it, they screen on Christie 4k projectors. So it's a beautiful picture and sound. Um, and so mm -hmm. now that we had like this state of the art venue that we could showcase films, we approached, we started approaching distributors and, um, really what we do, what we did then was we would put our features together in a wonderful little, presentation and, and um, in a PDF presentation and send it out to them and see who bit. And then over the years, um, we got to know individuals at, um, at companies. And maybe about three years ago, we decided, let's see, it was in 2017 that we decided we needed to dedicate a whole day um, or two days to putting together a mini market. And so we invited distributors out to dinner because we figured that's the only way we're gonna get them to um, that's a good actually physically come and meet us. <laughs> so we like contacted I love it. 15 it's so distributors. <laughs> yeah. Well, we didn't know how to get them to meet with us physically. So we just, um, uh, one of the other things we do is we celebrate. Um, so our area code in the Valley is 818. And on August 18th, which would be 818, we typically have a celebrate the Valley day kind of thing. Um, so we were already doing this celebration on August 18th. And we said, let's just piggyback on that and invite these um, distributors out and tell them we'll pay for their drinks and dinner. Um, and so we got like 15 distributors. I think we invited like 30 or 40, but we mm -hmm. got 15 to come meet with us. That's and, amazing. um, 
Yeah. And so because of that, they were able to like see us face to face because I think it's easier to build a relationship when you've met someone physically um, and they know that you're a person and not a name in an email address or a voice on the phone. Yeah. Um, which is why I'm kind of glad, you know, a silver lining of COVID is that everyone has adapted to um, video chats so easily. And I think that makes all the difference in the world when you can see someone. Um, yeah, so we started interview, we started meeting um, distributors face to face to see what they wanted. And then I think in 2018, we tried to put a market together and we couldn't. Um, I don't know what the actual issue was. I think we were just, I think we were trying to find a venue and we couldn't because um, the Lemley, we were looking for a second venue. So the Lemley was our, it's our screening venue. They don't have much public space um, and they're definitely, it was too expensive to, use our screening time for a market in one of the theaters. So we needed to find a second venue to do this and we just couldn't. I think we, one within our budget, I should say. <laughs> so, <Yes>. um, <laughs> we just couldn't find one that was within walking distance of, um, of the theater. And so we just sort of put the physical event, the physical, um, events on hold, but still reached out to our distributors. And Georgia did a really good job at just building that list up. So she would just continually reach out. And um, then in 2019, I was looking for a venue for my birthday party. <laughs> and, oh and, and there was a venue that, I mean, I grew up on this street and I never knew this recording studio existed and it had been there for 40 something years. Um, but I found this recording studio that was just, it was everything we needed and everything we wanted. It was, um, it was like a clubhouse. It was like, you know, it had a stage that could screen films um, and also uh, host live music. It had a smaller stage um, and lounge area so that people could network. It had a huge um, backyard patio um, and it had a bar. So it was, it was like perfect for us. And so we ended up renting that space out in addition to the Lemley Theater. And um, fortunately, we were, we were really lucky to have uh, financial support from sponsors that enabled us to rent out this second venue. And it just, it went well. We, we dedicated, um, actually, you know, the festival was nine days. And even though we did one day that was strictly a market, we also did multiple days of panels that were about distribution or about funding um, that did not fall on that day. And so our mini market, I actually called it a symposium after the fact because it was only one day and we didn't, um, our intent was to set up booths for these filmmakers. Um, but what we ended up doing was just inviting the filmmakers who were in the festival. So it was, it was private, it wasn't open to the public. 
Um, we invited the filmmakers that were in the festival to attend. And then um, the feature filmmakers, we paired up for one-on-one -on -one meetings with these distributors that we had. I think we had 10 companies representing represented there that day. And so we just paired everyone up. And again, that was one of Georgia's brilliant ideas. We did like a, a meet and match kind of thing. Um, and it went really, really well. And we were obviously hoping to build on that this year. <laughs> yes. And uh, that didn't happen, but that's okay. I think we will, we will try and do it uh, whenever we can next year, whenever it's safe, obviously, because people need to. Yes. Um, be there in person, I think. Of course, and thank you so much for uh, giving credit to Georgia. I think this is wonderful that there's such great teamwork and I so appreciate you talking about distribution so openly and distributors because we talk a lot about festivals. Well, at the end of the day, festivals, they also are here for that, right? For distribution. Mm -hmm. Because there's sometimes people who think festivals are just for a club, but really, no, it's not just for a club. Like, usually filmmakers, when they go to festivals, like the professional filmmakers, is to get their films distributed, finding a sales agent, but sometimes where they already have one attached. And it's really just to, to, to spread it with the word. So I, I think, like, your idea with the mini market and, and the networking and just how you, you found that space, I think that's, that's really, really inspiring. It makes me think of all this... Um, you know, Hollywood stories, like even if it's the Valley, but like it's like, it's very old Hollywood, like in such a good way, I really love it. I think it's um, it, it's wonderful. And I really understand why Rebecca loves your festival so much. Like, I uh -huh. think it's outstanding. It's uh, yeah, because really like festivals, there are a lot of festivals, but the festival we push, push the films to the distribution mm -hmm. process and 15 distributors for a start, that, that's a lot of distributors attending the festival. Yeah, I mean, it is, but so thank you. Yes, I will accept that. You know, coming since we're in LA and there's hundreds of them here, um, yeah. obviously in my head, I'm thinking 15 is too low, but thank you for saying 15 is great. Yes, yes. <laughs> I think it's important to mention it because as you said at the, the very first edition 20 years ago, you had a lot of films from Texas and New York, right? But mm -hmm. really also it's important to remember the filmmakers watching or listening that it's important, very important to send your films internationally because your audience is international. It's more and more international, no need to repeat mm -hmm. that. And really distribution there is really important. So if you send your film to Tracy at the Valley Film Festival, you can really have that opportunity. And I think it's extremely important to mention this because there are all kinds of festivals and Rebecca also explains really well the film festival doctor, how you must understand your goal. So if mm -hmm. your goal is for your film to be distributed, please make sure the, the festival does have a market uh, oh. that distributors actually attend these festivals because if they don't, you may be really disappointed. So it's just important to know where you stand. And I think you do that brilliantly. And honestly, I'm amazed. I think this is just like, it's, it's really, really, it's really brilliant. And I can't wait oh, to see you. the market coming back also when it's possible and when it's safe. Absolutely. Yeah, no, thank you for, thank you for bringing up uh, Rebecca. I love her. She's been a great friend to the festival and a great friend to me personally over the years now that we've known each other for so long. Um, but yeah, when I talk to filmmakers myself, I, I always ask what their goal is. Like, is their goal to use this film 
to get distribution, to make another film? Are they, is this just, they're one and done and they're just looking to have it in as many films as possible. So it's really important to know what your goal is before you submit to a festival. Um, and it's really easy, well, it's really easy for me to spot those films that um, aren't really in it for, the, that they're just there to collect laurels. <laughs> so, yes, yes, um, yes. You, you can tell, yeah, you can tell who those, fil which films those are. And um, we also have a, on Film Freeway, we did customize, um, you know, a, a few questions uh, pertaining to submission. So I can tell like by the answers, who's really invested in their film and themselves um, and versus people who are just submitting to us to submit. And, you know, sometimes like when we're, when we're trying to program, we do program those films because they're good. I mean, they are good films. Yes. Um, we always focus on the storytelling so our, so I don't know if you were going to ask me about programming, but I'm just going to get into it. Um, <laughs> please, please. So when we program the festival, we first focus on our feature films because that's our, that's our base. Um, we focus on our features and we look at feature films in a variety of ways. I have a, a wonderful documentary programmer, James Latham, who loves documentaries and he writes essays about each film that is submitted and I um, really I should just start sharing this with the filmmakers because he just does such a yeah. beautiful job um, talking about each film and how how it um, you know how it fits within our festival or if it won't fit within our festival and um, so he watches the documentaries first um, we have three people to watch every Every submission gets three views. And so James does the first vet on the doc features. And then Georgia and I do um, the first vets on the um, narrative features. And so when we're programming, we're looking at films that have a really great story and a story that is told differently then, you know, cause all the stories are the same, but it's just how you tell it. And so um, we're looking for stories that have, that are just unique and fun. Um, and then obviously we, we need to have some element um, tied to LA or the Valley cause it's part of our programming. So when we are programming features, we're looking to see if it will fit in, in that category and are made in the 818 mission. Um, and then if they don't, obviously we still consider them because we do, we do screen a lot of films from outside of California and obviously internationally. Um, but really we're looking at, can we sell this to, not, not us personally, but can we present this to a distributor? Um, do we have someone in mind? Because we're just the middleman. We don't, we don't take commissions. We don't ask for money. We're just putting the filmmaker and the distributor together. And then what happens, happens. We have no control over it. But we are thinking about, can we present this to our slate of distributors? Um, and if the filmmaker isn't, doesn't have the means to market or support the festival, can we do it on our own? So we always try and look for films that we have an audience for. So we try and 
and program from what we know we can do ourselves um, yes. without relying on the filmmaker. Wow. Obviously, it would be great to rely on the filmmaker, <laughs> but yes. it's just not it's just not possible. Um, so we are we're looking at ways that we can promote the festival. And if we feel we have the audience, then um, that is something we take into consideration. So we program our features first. And then we go through the short films and try and find a short that complements each feature. Um, and that's those are that's really important because each each short and each film is paired together um, for a specific reason. Uh, we don't just throw them together. We're really careful about matching the themes or the message um, or just the look and vibe. Um, or the genre, but it's thoughtfully put together. <laughs> I will. I'm sure. I'm sure you must think about every aspect. So it, it's a, so it's a brilliant event, right? And so all they all they screen together. Do you screen the short before the feature? Yes. So we screen a music video, um, then a short film, about ten minutes or less, and then the feature film. Well, that, that's wonderful. It's it's good to know. It's something we do a lot in France. It's very uh, it's very common here. It's really interesting to hear. And about your programming, there's a topic that's really important for us here also at Paris. How do you go about diversity, representing film female filmmakers or filmmakers from minorities? How does it work? Yeah. So it's funny. Someone just I was uh, just interviewed the other day about this, <laughs> and. Yes. Honestly, you know, we don't have a specific diversity and inclusion um, mission, but we do have a, so part of our, um, part of our mission is to make our call for entry um, fee really affordable. So it's $8.18 US dollars. Um, and then we also have submission um, scholarships for filmmakers who are um, affected by conflict or war um, so that it doesn't matter where you are. We, if you have something and it's important to be screened, we wanna be able to showcase that or, or at least see it to showcase it. <laughs> and, um, and then we also do make an effort to have some sort of parody um, in terms of female filmmakers or those who identify as female filmmakers um, and those who identify as male filmmakers. So we do have in our custom questions, we do ask some, um, some more personal questions to deepen, to dig deeper um, into who made the film. Um, but it's not, it really comes back to the storytelling. So if the film is good and we like it, we're gonna program it. Um, but we do try and make sure that there are, I mean, if we have a, 10 films and they're all great, um, but nine of them are made by men and one is made by a woman, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll program that, that one by a woman. Um, that's if all films are ex you know, exactly the same and, and great. Um, but I think we just, I think when we focus on the festival and the storytelling and just making sure that we are sticking true to um, 
conscious programming that the diversity just falls naturally mm. into it. And I think that's what we do. We did, we did a couple years ago, make an effort to, um, to really, so I realized a couple years ago that, wow, as a festival, we have a platform and we can control what people watch like on our end. And do we want to be that festival that is, um, showcasing films about spousal abuse and, you know, or have, or films that have rape scenes in them um, mm -hmm. or gun violence. And we just decided not to, unless it was part of the story. If it was obviously just a scene and um, really had no storytelling element to it, mm -hmm. then we just weren't programming those anymore. Yes, yes, yes. That sounds yeah, very so, reasonable. Yeah, so we're just very conscious of the media that we are presenting to people to consume. And um, I think when, when we just stick to our, without trying to put things into buckets outside of our Made in the 818, um, <laughs> then I think the diversity just falls naturally in there. Now, I will say 20 years ago, it was all men submitting yeah. to the festival and it was really hard. Like I did make an effort to try and get women to submit um, and to submit films that were not documentaries. Um, did you see an evolution in that for the 20 years? Because a lot of documentaries used to be, I mean, a lot of female filmmakers used to be from documentaries before, right? Yes. Did you see actually yep. that change? Yes, absolutely. So it's actually been really great to see uh, the changes that have come over the years. Like first, just technology wise, um, we went from screening on 35 millimeter to um, a beta tape <laughs> ah, and it. then to DVD and then to Blu-ray and then to um, a hard drive on a computer. And then finally uh, to DCP at, uh, for the last eight years, we've been on DCP over at- um, The whole shebang, right? You've been through every format, haven't you? Yes, yeah. So, so similarly, we see a lot of, um, we see a lot of how storytelling has changed and how, and how filmmaking is now more accessible to a lot of people. Um, younger people, uh, people in different countries um, that may not have the, the studios or the equipment that, you know, filmmakers in LA do. I think filmmakers in LA, and I might've mentioned this on Rebecca's podcast. Um, <laughs> sometimes I feel like because we make films so often here in Los Angeles, that it's not as special as that crew somewhere in a remote part of the world um, where they only get one chance at making a film. And so I think they put filmmakers who know they have one chance and are only making one film to begin with, or it's their first, I think they put a little more thought and effort into it. Not effort, that's the wrong word because oh, I, I know that, and yeah, I know filmmakers here put a lot of effort and thought into filmmaking too, but I think it's more like you know, LA is a company town. It's a factory of mm -hmm. film. And so yes, people yes. are always 
making films here. And, uh, you know, I think on the weekends, people just get together and, and make something with their friends, whereas elsewhere, you really have to plan. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And so I brought that up because what was the question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah, on, honestly, all you're saying is so inspiring. So you could just carry uh, on. Honestly. Okay. Because of the, of the format, you know, we were discussing how you went through all the formats and oh, how right. the industry changed, really. Because you probably saw the evolution with a lot of female documentary filmmakers but they're fiction, right? I hope so. They they are making fantastic um, fiction films now. So it is, it's really great to see. Um, yeah. Yes, we were talking about the evolution of storytelling throughout the years. Um, and then I think, you know, when the iPhone, when the iPhone came out, we were starting mm-hmm. to get a lot of films made on the phone. And the first couple of years, they were not that good. Um, I think there was a there was a, a time when the tools became so accessible that everyone thought they could make a film, and they just they can't. Um, and so the yeah. the quality wasn't that good. Um, sound was also a big issue, yeah. uh, and sound is one of my pet peeves. So <laughs> yes, yes, I want to I want to tackle on that too because yeah. when you you must receive so many submissions. So for for our listeners, the filmmakers who watch and listen, this, what what are your your biggest advice to them? Like whether it's during right. making of the film or even during the festival phase, which is extremely important. Right. So, um, technically, just make sure you have a clear picture and sound, because even mm-hmm. though we're watching the submissions on our computer, we are projecting on a much larger screen. And so if we're, we have that in the back of our head, like how is this going to sound in a theater? How is this going to look if it's blown up? Um, which is why when we were first talking about composition and, um, and uh, props and stuff, it's just, it makes all the difference because you can see everything in the background when you are in a theater with a huge screen and you can hear every pop or every, um, the conversations going on in the background, um, you know, of a film. So we are, we really listen and we really look to see how is this going to look on a bigger screen? Um, Is it going to project well? Is it going to sound well? So we look at that. We also, this is, this is one of the areas that I wish I could somehow magically get involved in, but subtitles are really important as well. So if um, I think people rely on Google to translate their <laughs> subtitles, <laughs> and um, especially our Spanish films, I hate to call them out, but I am. So our Spanish films routinely, even though they're beautiful films, um, and I just, I want so much to showcase them, the subtitles on, on those films, um, most of the time are just poorly translated. Um, and it's just, yeah, it's hard because when, when you're an audience, when you're an English speaking audience and you're trying to pay attention to the story and the picture, and read the subtitles, if the subtitles are wrong and don't make sense, then it takes you out of the story. And the whole 
point of of that is to just make sure you're you're uh, in the story. Um, so subtitles are also really important. Uh, and I'm always happy to if someone is willing to you know, redo the subtitles. I'm yeah. always willing to um, read them and tell them what would make more sense for an English speaking audience. I've done that a few times um, for films, mostly in Eastern Europe um, that have reached out and said, hey, do you mind? And I was like, sure, not a problem. Wow. So always that's happy to help. Generous. And that's um, really generous of you because it's, it's oh. and I agree with you. I think it's, it's very important advice. Like when you've put so much effort into your film, there are some mm -hmm. things that you must have like beautiful pictures, but also great, uh, obviously a professional DCP, but also just great subtitles. I completely agree with you, the timing, just the way it must be done professionally. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, we did have a film this year that I really liked and I wanted to screen um, and we, we declined the film, we declined the film and then the filmmaker wanted to know why. And I said, well, you know, ultimately it came down to your subtitles and he was really offended that we didn't fix his subtitles and um, like redo them for him and, and give him that feedback before so he could have fixed them. I'm like, it's not our job to, to do this after the fact. Um, you know, we're, we're in a crunch ourselves, but I did tell him I would help him if he, should he, should he have wanted it? He never wrote back, but <laughs> well, offer still stands if that particular filmmaker is watching this. Uh, yes, and as you say, I think really the filmmaker's involvement is so important, right? And if the <laughs> film is selected at your festival, again, for the filmmakers who are watching this, it's really important that you just put, you go the extra mile, you go and you promote it and you do all the press, like for all the premieres I've been for my films, I would, I would, I would do all the press. You also because the audience really want, want you to be there and tell the story and connect mm -hmm. with them and for you to know them, it's also really important. So I completely agree with you. It's, it's the filmmaker's responsibility, right? Their involvement is extremely precious and important. And it's about education, isn't it? Knowing that every step is important when your film is finished, I feel it's only the beginning really, right, of the adventure. Absolutely, yeah. No, I mean, the, the making of the film is one adventure and then the rollout of the film is a total second adventure that you have to treat, that you, that you have to treat with pre-production, production and post. So it, it's the same thing. Yes, Absolutely. every step is and, important. Another piece of advice that I would give to filmmakers who are submitting films to any festival yes. is just um, make sure that whomever is submitting on your behalf, that they are using an email address that they check regularly and, <laughs> and not a specific email for tied to the film that no one checks. Um, because, you know, more often than not, we have to track down films that we want to program and um you know we are we're doing all sorts of sleuthing on social media um mm -hmm. and inboxing on facebook or instagram to see if it's the correct person because no one has responded to our outreach so i tend to do a handful of things during our submission process um mostly because i know that email front sent through the film freeway network um, probably ends up in spam. I'm going to assume mm -hmm. that. 
I know our personal newsletter, uh, even though we use a third party to send it out, I know that it most likely ends up in spam a lot too. And there's just, I don't know what to do about that. There's, you know, it's just, it's just the internet. So. Yes, um, and the filmmaker's involvement again, right? To check film freeware or whatever it is, mm -hmm. just to be on it all the time. And again, to the filmmakers who watch, you know, when the festival is asking for something, please answer, please answer the same day if you can. Please put all the info you can in the film freeware platform, the pictures, the trailer, because really like they are working so hard. And obviously, Tracy, like you've been working so hard for so many years and like usually a lot of people in the team are volunteers or, or they end up volunteering at some point just because it's so much work, right? So please, they, they love your film. So please make the life as easy as possible. It's for your own good. And I always feel that when your film is selected with a festival, it's like teamwork, right? And, and look at what you've been doing. Sometimes, you know, a global pandemic happens like this year and really it's i think it's really inspiring to see that together you still manage to do this amazing edition with drive-ins and kind of be part of the history of it right i think that's that's really precious yeah this year uh, so we treat our filmmakers as if they're family um and actually one of our filmmakers this year that we did an online interview with um a previous festival filmmaker john putch we had um, an interview with him i think in september um and he his his like motto as a director is to be a host not a boss and so that's really how we or how i approach the festival as well and um we try and be hosts and not like these festivals just like breathing down your neck um and we treat you like family so we really want you to be involved after, the, like during the festival and even after the festival. Yeah. So our awards are um, all juried by, by festival peers. So they're all previous um, festival participants. Um, wow, that's we wonderful. Do not, yeah, we, I and like the, the staff, we do not have a say in who wins. Um, so it's really decided upon by peers. And if you want to be a part of that, please do. Um, we love, we love when other people participate, but yeah, so this oh, I would year, love to support in any way. And I think it's so inspiring because as you say, as filmmakers, you will want to attend the festival again. Mm -hmm. You will want to, we can promise that, right, Tracy? It's like, it's because you're yeah. so, you, you're like a team, as you say, you're like family. So you support each other. Even mm -hmm. throughout the years, I completely understand that and I agree. And I will love to. And also, I want to ask you something because it sounds like you have such a deep love for French cinema. I would love to know what Paris inspires you, you know, or what French cinema inspires you because it obviously inspires me too. Sure. Um, so, what I like about French cinema is just the what is the word I'm looking for? It's just, you can, I think French cinema tells a story without words. Like you can watch a film and know exactly what's going on without listening to it. And I had a film professor who um, taught us uh, in, in his particular class to rely on, on, the, on the picture because film is visual. And so you should rely on 
you know, just like, just like the silent films, just rely on the picture to tell the story. And so I really like that. I really like to see long pauses in films and, um, <laughs> yes, <me too. laughs> and, yes. <laughs> and really just the casual lifestyle that I think everyone, um, you know, would love to, or at least I want, um, of just being able to have a great dinner party outdoors with 10 of your friends. Um, of course, that's not going to happen anytime soon, but, you know, <laughs> no, but yeah, yes, yes. Just, just being able to, everything, you know, I, I love cooking and I love sharing food and I love, um, having people at my dinner table. I think Rebecca's been to a few of my dinner parties, but um, I'm, I really like, I really like that. And I love that, that often that um, food tends to be like the center of yes, some it big is. problem in, in a French film. <laughs> it is, it is. Oh, I so love that you say that because I, I can't agree more, you know. It's so crazy. I feel we, we had we've not um, been in touch before because my my feature yeah. of Golden Age is actually about that, you know, it's set in the 60s. It's inspired by the French wave. And what I love from the French films from that time is that at the time you could even now in France you can have a time for a conversation. You can have a time yeah. to eat with someone and to fall in love, you know. You could mm -hmm. take the time of all this and I think it's yes, in films like the French New Wave, I think it's still it's still really, really present. So I really love you saying that. And have you oh. been to Paris quite a few times before? Uh, I've been to Paris, I've been to France and I've been to Paris a handful of times. Um, I have not been in, I think three years. I think my last, my last trip abroad was last year in 2019 and that was to Italy. So I tend to like the Mediterranean region um, just because I love the food and I love the weather and I love the smells. I just, I love just the, the flowers and the food and just everything. Um, but yeah, I don't know if I could figure out how to live abroad, I would, but <laughs> right yes. now I'm here. <laughs> exactly. And I can't wait for you to come back and I'll have to invite you to dinner in Paris. So you come just like you did with the distributors. <laughs> Yes. It feel really good, right? Because, yes, we'll deserve it for sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. And Tracy, you've been so generous with your time. I just oh, wanted to ask you if you had a last thought or if this year taught you anything, you know, how you feel about the future. And congratulations again, because honestly, like for the whole 20 years, obviously, but even this year, the pictures from the drive-ins and the films you had, I know they were really fantastic. So congratulations again. I think oh. this is very inspiring. Thank you. Yeah, I think my final thoughts would be, um, you know, always revisit ideas. So when the pandemic happened, when it shut us down in March, our festival was supposed to be in August. Never in a million years did I think we would not have a theater open in August here in Los Angeles. Um, but we were actively looking for a backup plan just in case. And our first plan was a drive-in. And, but at the time we didn't have drive-ins in, in LA, in, in the city itself, uh, or definitely not in the Valley. Um, we had two big drive-ins in LA County, but they're on 
county lines. So they're kind of far to get to. And um, so I had wanted to create a drive-in in a parking lot. And when I went to our insurance company, they were like, nope, can't do that. And <laughs> <they're> like, <laughs> like, you're going to have to insure every single car that comes in and we don't want to do that. And I was like, all right. So I kind of took that drive-in option off the table back in April. And so we were just looking for different ways to, if we had to go online, how we would do it and, or how we could keep it physical. And so I had read an article about it, about this Argentinian metal band that had um, performed in a hotel courtyard and then their fans bought hotel rooms that overlooked the courtyard. So that's how they were able to um, attend the concert and still keep within their little COVID bubble. And so we looked at three different hotel options here and two of them were really expensive. <laughs> so, and it wasn't something that we could buy out right, you know? And so we needed, we were always communicating with the filmmakers to see, would you be willing to do A, B, or C? Would you be interested in, you know, D, E, or F? So we were always communicating with the filmmakers from the very beginning. We were, because this was new to us. And um, since they were attending, attending films with their, attending festivals with their films, we wanted to know what other people were doing as well. And um, so we looked at renting out hotels. We looked at parking lots. We looked everywhere. And then finally, I think in, um, in June, our theater said, we don't think we're gonna be open in August, it was also because we were tied, theaters reopening in the summer were tied to the release of Tenant and Mulan. And then once Disney and Tenant pulled out of theaters, um, Lemley was like, you know, let's move you to November um, because we should be open by then. <laughs> Yes, we should um, be open. <laughs> we should be open by then, yeah. And so we pushed it back, but we were still actively looking for a second viable backup plan. We looked at, oh my goodness, we looked at so many different platforms. I wasn't happy with any of them. We looked at um, virtual reality screenings. Yeah. And, we looked at everything. I looked at this platform called Event Farm, which is beautiful. And um, I still wanna play around with it and get people to come in and join me. It was really expensive. It was $10,000 a day. So again, it was out of oh our budget, but yeah, it was really a lot of fun. It's like your own private island, your own private, just, I don't know. I don't know what to call it. It was just fun to be on. I had fun in there. Um, <laughs> And then, so we were going through all of this stuff. And then um, I, you know, I was also in touch with our local politicians too. And so um, I contacted our council mem, or contacted the council member's office to find out just if we might be able to have an outdoor screening somewhere. And they called the mayor's office and they were like, you should rely on a uh, drive-in. Do, do not try and do anything else. It's not going to happen. <laughs> so it's really good. Um, yeah, so great yeah. relationships. And we just looked everywhere for a venue. We just couldn't find one. 
Um, and so I was, we had told our filmmakers that if we couldn't put together a physical festival that we would cancel the festival, refund their money, but we would still do an online showcase for those who wanted to participate. And it would be totally optional. Um, it wouldn't be a festival. It would just be a selections of the festival. Um, and so I had called Simple DCP who uh, puts together our drives and they were going through every single platform with me. They spent a good hour and a half, two hours on the phone with me, which I really appreciated. And at the very, very end, I don't know why they didn't lead with this. At the very end, they had said, oh, the Region C16 just converted their parking lot into a drive-in. You might want to reach out to them. And so as soon as I got off the phone, <laughs> like, oh I called them. <laughs> and uh, at the time, they were only booking a handful of weeks out in advance because we were still hopeful that the city would reopen. And obviously, if the city reopened, they would go back to having screenings in the theater and would disband their drive-in. Um, so it was really, it was really, I was on pins and needles because even though they hadn't booked anything for November, they wouldn't let me book for November. <laughs> and so so um, I was like, I, I don't know what to do. Should I plan as if we're having a drive-in and or not? Um, and so I decided maybe after a week of going through this, like, let's just plan as if we are having a drive-in. And then if, if we cancel, we have to cancel. Um, so I think we put everything together in three weeks. Um, once, yeah, once we got, once we got the go ahead to do it. And then as we started out this conversation, our first weekend, it rained our second weekend, we had winds. And then the third weekend we had a curfew. So it was just, and I think so, this is wonderful. And it shows the resilience yeah. filmmakers have and that you have like to go through every step going online and then mm -hmm. is it happening and then insurance and then authorization. I think this is so inspiring and it happened and it was so successful. And Thank you. I think it's a great, great, probably one of the best success stories of the year really in the film oh, industry. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah. So my, my parting words are just, uh, you know, revisit old ideas. Don't think just because they didn't work at one time that they can't be put into place in the future. Um, so once we found a, a drive-in that um, was already in place, then our insurance company was able to approve insurance for it because the cars were covered under the theater and not under our policy. Um, so yeah, just revisit ideas. They're ideas and they can be good um, or they could be better for something else, but there aren't any bad ideas. So, I love I it. I think I it's very good advice for every film, <laughs> right? To always be open, always mm -hmm. be prepared, but still also be open, right? To be prepared be on it and also be open for new opportunities because you never know what can happen last minute. And honestly, I think after this, if filmmakers who are listening are not convinced that they should submit the film <laughs> to the Valley Film Festival, like, because you can even go for a global pandemic. And I honestly, I think it's, it's, thank you so much. Like, it's really inspiring, Tracy. It's very, for filmmakers who also go for a lot to make their films happen and 
you know, go through all the stages. You telling these stories with so much humility, honestly, I think it, it makes a really big difference. So thanks oh, so much for that. You. And we'll make sure to include all your details in the description. Please, everyone, you can submit your film to on Film Freeway to the Valley Film Festival. And we'll also put the social media in the description. And, and thanks so much for your generosity with your time because you're only just wrapped up. So it, it's, it's a very, very inspiring chat. Uh, well, thank you so much. And I would love to just chat with you again, just because oh, I can't yes, believe, yes. I can't believe uh, you and I haven't met over the years, so. Exactly, I felt the same. I, Cause yeah, and especially even when I was at Gaumont seven years ago, I really worked with so many festivals and I, I should check, I'm, I'm still curious if we haven't been in touch because like your festival is so inspiring. So I will, I will be extremely pleased to support your festival for the years. Cause honestly, our love for French cinema, I cannot, I cannot say how much I agree with you with the, the <laughs> French new wave. And, and it's really inspiring because, right, to be a good filmmaker, you need to know about the history of films too, right? It's really important not to forget. We do forget. And it's, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm really passionate about, about the, the silent era, the golden age of cinema, um, just because we do need to preserve um, and archive the, the film that is disappearing and dissolving <laughs> and, and just make sure that audiences can see it for future years.